0: This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey everybody, great to be with you again for Calvary Online. If you're new to Calvary, we're so glad you're joining us. I'm John. I love opening the Bible with you every week as we're together, and I've especially enjoyed studying the book of Hebrews with you. It's rich, it's deep, it's at times complex, but it is full of amazing insight about Jesus and who he is, about how he is greater than so many lesser things that we fill our lives with. We are now in the main part of our study. These four chapters of Hebrews, chapter 7, chapter 8, 9, and 10, form the key argument of this book, letter, sermon, and they all focus on the superiority of Jesus to the Old Testament system and religious traditions that this first century audience that this letter was written to would have been so familiar with. Prior to their belief in Jesus as the Son of God and as their Savior, the Hebrews were Jewish. So they were steeped in Old Testament tradition and ritual and all of this structure and detail about priests and and sacrifice and Old Testament history would have been so well known to them. It admittedly makes it challenging for us. We're thousands of years removed from the writing of this book or letter and we're even more further removed from some of the stuff that it references. Chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 explore four parts of the Old Testament system and how Jesus has replaced all of it. Last time we were together, we looked at the first part of the Old Testament system, the priesthood. In chapter 7, we saw how Jesus makes the Old Testament priesthood obsolete, unnecessary. Priests in the Old Testament represented people before God. They mediated the relationship between God and his people. Their lives were meant to be a living example to the people of God of how they ought to live and a reminder about the holiness of God, how he is separate and set apart from human beings. Priests were meant to be teachers, and their ministry was primarily thought of as happening in a certain place, which we might call the sanctuary or the most holy place. It was, in ancient times, inside of a tent or a tabernacle or ultimately the temple. The place on the earth where the presence of God dwelt. And it was the place where the priestly ministry on the earth occurred. That's the focus of the first five verses of chapter 8. The place where priestly ministry occurred. And it's also the focus of the first part of chapter 9. We're going to look at that theme Next time, the sanctuary, or the most holy place. In this place, there were offerings of sacrifice. That's what the second part of chapter 9 and the beginning part of chapter 10 deals with. So, there's the priesthood, there's the sanctuary, there's the sacrifice, and the fourth part is the covenant, which we'll talk about today. In fact, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to read all of chapter 8 right now, and then we are going to look at uh, about five very specific verses, the second part of chapter 8, which deal with this idea, this fourth part of the Old Testament system and structure known as the covenant. So Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest to also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. for a second. We're going to leave the next five verses to look at in a moment. But those are the first seven verses of this chapter. As I said before, the first five we're going to talk about more in detail next week. But verse six, specifically, of chapter eight says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry. Remember, he's a priest that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises." Covenants are an important part of biblical history. We talked about the covenant or promise that God made to Abraham in our study of chapter 6. We're going to look at two covenants today, what's known as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. It could be an agreement between two people. It could be an agreement between a person and an organization. Essentially, It's a promise that an official agreement between those two parties will be maintained. Some of you might live in a covenant-controlled community. You agree when you move in to cut the grass and pull the weeds and to not park your car on cinder blocks in the front lawn. And if you keep your end of the agreement, everything's fine. If you don't, though, you receive one of those mean and nasty letters from the homeowners association telling you that you need to abide by or live by the covenant that you agreed to. A mortgage is a type of covenant. A bank promises to give you money to buy your house and you promise to make a mortgage payment for 15, 20, 30 years every single month. And if you don't, eventually the bank owns your house. Let's talk about the Old Covenant first. It's also known as the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant. It was a promise initiated by God between God and man. The reason why it's known as the Mosaic or the Sinai Covenant is because it occurred after Moses led God's people out of Egypt And then God gave the Old Testament laws and structure and started the priesthood, and He gave instructions about the tabernacle through Moses. And all of this happened at Mount Sinai. The Mosaic Covenant was a conditional agreement between two parties, between God and man. God gave laws for people to follow, all sorts of them, a system to maintain their identity as the people of God and all kinds of external regulations. If the people were faithful to those regulations and requirements, then God promised to bless them. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy shows the conditional nature of the Old Covenant when it says in chapter 11 and verse 13, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command to you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all of your soul, And then it goes on to list many of the blessings that the Jewish people would receive for their obedience. Protection from enemies, material wealth, fertile land. And if you know the story of God's people, they were ultimately unable to uphold their end of the covenant. They were disobedient. All of these external rules and regulations weren't effective for them. And eventually, those blessings of protection and provision were removed. The nation of Israel was divided, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and the people were taken captive. And during this dark period, God revealed his promised new covenant through the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. A big chunk of Hebrews chapter 8 is a quote from Jeremiah. It's the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. And in it, God reveals his new covenant, an unconditional covenant one that he makes between himself and his people. It says in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 8, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, that's the old covenant, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This new covenant, rather than being based in part on our obedience, is unconditional. It's totally dependent upon God and his work through his son, Jesus. Remember in verse six where it said, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry. That is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. This covenant is better than the old covenant because it's all based on God and his work. And it includes better promises. Promises that apply to you and to me. What are they? Let's look at three better promises from the new covenant. First, there's a powerful promise. Next, there's a personal promise. And finally, there is a permanent promise. The first better promise of the new covenant is a powerful promise. In verse 10 of chapter 8, it says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. How can that happen? Laws are external to us. We're told to follow laws by someone other than us, someone outside of us. Legislators write laws. Laws are posted publicly on signs, written on paper. In the Old Testament, laws were written on tablets of stone. How could a law be be put in our minds and written on our hearts? That's why this is a powerful promise. Because this is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. That power that works to align our hearts with God's heart and to help us obey his commands internally. That's only possible if we have been transformed. If we have been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, which then enables us to love the law of God, to long to follow him, and to obey him, which is not the natural inclination of the human heart. The default position for humans is disobedience. But once the Holy Spirit lives within us, then by his power, God puts the law of God into our minds and writes it on our hearts. There is a striking image here. A contrast between the the tablets of stone that Moses brought down from the mountain, the Ten Commandments, literally written in stone by the hand of God. And then this idea that God would write the law into our hearts, into our hearts of flesh. Moving his people from a system of external obedience to one of inward desire of longing to love the law of God, to obey his commandments and listen to his voice. And it all happens through the work of his Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised to his people when he said in Acts 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be able By the enablement of the Holy Spirit, by the power of this Spirit that I will send to you to be my witnesses, to take my message of love and hope and redemption, to share the gospel throughout all the world, because I have given you a powerful promise, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the first promise of the New Covenant, the powerful promise of the Holy Spirit. The second promise of the New Covenant is a personal promise. Continuing in verse 10, it says, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. This promise is a personal promise of a relationship with God. No longer needing a priest to help navigate that relationship or to mediate it, but direct access to God himself himself. Personally, this is one of the most amazing realities of the Christian life. Nearly every world religion has the concept of a priest, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism. There is someone who must stand between people and God in nearly every world religion. And yet, for the Christian, that's unnecessary. God himself came to earth and died so that we could have a personal relationship with him, direct access to the throne of God. He will be our God and we will be his people, it says. No conditions, no requirements, no need to have someone broker the relationship between us, just us and God himself. So then it doesn't matter where you are or where you've come from. It says that the least to the greatest shall know the Lord. If you ever feel insignificant because of your circumstance or unimportant because of your position, know this. You are invited, welcomed to have a relationship with God, to know the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who has made everything, and you have unrestricted to a personal Unrestricted access to a personal relationship with God in heaven. If you go to a concert, like you might get a little ticket for backstage access, or maybe you're going to be able to get a front row seat closer to the band, better than the rest of us who are sitting in the cheap seats. But here's the better promise of the new covenant. There is no limit to your personal relationship with God. It's a universal offer to all who would believe Galatians chapter 3 reminds us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you are promised a personal relationship with God. And this is a permanent promise. Verse 12 says, For I, this is God speaking, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is one of the fundamental problems of the Old Covenant. It was unable to forgive sins. We'll look at that in more detail in the chapters that come. But in order for sin to be dealt with, God had to send His Son to the world to be the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And by doing so, he demonstrated mercy toward our iniquities. He accomplished, once and for all, the forgiveness of sin for his people. We've talked about the idea of mercy before, but it means that God doesn't give to us what we actually deserve. He shows us mercy when he forgives our sins and and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We deserve a penalty for our sin. But instead, God grants us mercy. And this isn't like one-time forgiveness or a time-limited offer. No, it says that he will remember our sins no more. Not only are our sins forgiven, but they, in the mind of God, are forgotten. He will no longer remember them. They're not cataloged in a book somewhere. There's no list of failures for those that have been forgiven. They've been wiped away. This is a permanent promise. Your forgiveness is forever. It doesn't last a day or a week or a year. It doesn't even expire after a lifetime. It's an eternal, permanent state of forgiveness. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Three better promises of the new covenant. A powerful promise of the Holy Spirit. A personal promise of a relationship with God. And a permanent promise of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. How much better is the new covenant? Here's the best part. Who does the new covenant depend upon? You? Me? Listen, if my faith depends on my faithfulness, I will fail. But if my faith depends on the faithfulness of God, I'll be fine. And so will you. We'd love to help you in your faith journey. If we can pray with you, if we can answer questions or help in any way, would you let us know through our online connect card? We'd love to pray for you. And it's always great to hear from you. We hope to see you the next time we're together. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the plan you had for a new covenant promised through the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah and fulfilled through your son, Jesus Christ. We bless you, God, for the promises that are offered to us through the new covenant. We give you thanks, God, that this is a permanent covenant. You're never going to go back on it. It's unconditional and it completely depends on you. I pray for all my friends who are joining us today, God. I pray you would be near to them. I pray you would encourage their hearts. I pray you would remind them of the great promises that you have offered through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in his name, amen.